Broadcasting from the Bet MGM studio, it's time for Inside the Jets. Brought to you by EY, building a better world. Now, here's Bart Scott and Dan Grossa. And welcome into another edition of Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. I'm Dan Grossa. That is former New York Jets linebacker Bart Scott. Always good to... See you, my friend, as it's a always. a pleasure, man. It seemed like we you, – did we try to swagger jack each other Did we coordinate bit? or what? Coordinate. We like coordination? Pops. Oh, good, man. For How the folks in Radioland, though, they don't know what we're talking about, but the TV viewers know that, hey, we're dressed to kill here today. That's how we roll. But <laughs> some good, some bad from the last time we saw the Jets on yep. Thursday night. But, unfortunately, at the end, it still landed up to a 37-28 defeat. Record is 0-4, first quarter of the season here. Let's accentuate the good, though, that you saw on Thursday night because yeah. I felt that – at least offensively, they probably had their best game of the season. Right. They moved the ball, except down in that red area, they left a lot of points on the field still. And that's the thing, right? You want to be able to cash in. You, I love Fickety Fickety. He was my player of the game. I picked him. I thought he was going to play an integral role, but not just that integral. I thought that he was going to be able to you know, be a finishing piece, maybe one or two. But when you get in the red zone, get that close, you want to cash a couple of those in. And that makes the difference of the game. And, um, you know, it's weird because – Every year is unique in the red zone. Sometimes just everything you do works, and sometimes you have to figure things out because what happens is it's not a lot of uh, space to operate. You hope that your tight ends will become you know, bigger in the red zone, but also you see some teams have success with these quick screens, with these um, like basically running plays to, to tight ends or, or to receivers. Right. And, you know, a team that has always been great in the red zone, and I don't care who's the quarterback, it's always been the Green Bay Packers. It's like one of those things. In the red zone, they're, like, so great in being able to have some of these quick screens. And uh, we saw, you know, a couple weeks ago or a week ago, we saw Mahomes uh, last week on Monday Night Football with the shuffle pass to the fullback. So it's just one of those things where you have to get in the rhythm and you have to execute. And you have to figure out that you can't have any penalties down there. You can't beat yourself. But it's all about execution and being able to space the field accordingly. And you said, you know, Sam Ficken had a great night, five field goals, had a 54-yarder. But touchdowns win football games for you right. in most instances. And you got to cash in on that. And they were 0 for 3 in the red zone. You want to be able to manifest that a little bit better here. But they did protect the football, too. No turnovers. They actually – that was one of the oddities of a football game, and that's why you just yeah. can't always necessarily look at the stat sheet because the Jets were plus three in turnovers, had a pick six, believe it or not, in the game yeah. with Pierre Desir, and yet still walked off the field on the short end of the scoreboard. Well, when you talk about that, you talk about giving up explosives on the other side, which you can't get up from a defensive standpoint, and also you can't extend drives with self-inflicted wounds. And what's the self-inflicted wounds? Um, pass interferences. And mainly the personal files was really the penalties came back were a problem. Yeah, they they hurt him. And you know some of them are aggressive penalties that you can live with. You know you think about you know uh, Quinn Quinnen. You know those were good penalties. He just is weird because early in the season you can see the fatigue starting to set in, and people want to talk about really the lack of a preseason. Really, what that affects you is your hips and your conditioning. And just think, really, this would probably be the last game, of or let's say this will be week three mm -hmm. of the preseason where guys are really starting getting in shape, you know, maybe one or two games in a season. So guys really won't be in football conditioning for another week or so. And if they can get in, in, in that type of conditioning, Quinn will understand and have the, the conditioning to be able to sink his hips and not just, um, you know, not just um, reach for the, just put his arms out and swipe at the face mask. And it got caught. But when you, when you are in tremendous shape, you're able to do the little things. And it's all about finishing in a football position. I used to hate, I used to have this guy named Bernardo Harris. 
everybody think that I learned how to be a great linebacker, a good linebacker, well, however you see it, from Ray Lewis. It mm-hmm. wasn't Ray Lewis that was the guy that was a stickler to me. It was Bernardo Harris who was that – he was like shark in any given Sunday, right? Like he would go in there and he had once he was the guy that, that missed the tackle when they lost to uh, – or he made the tackle. I don't know. It depends on who – He played for Green Bay, yeah, right? Green yeah. Bay, right? Tells the story. You know, right? And, and he was just an old dude that was past his prime, but he was there to really – be a mentor to the younger guys. He was there in case of a pinch because he was a veteran. He mm-hmm. can he can figure things out. But his body had failed him a long time ago, and he would tell me, Bart, bend your hips. Bart, finish in a good position. Even when we were not um, going full live, he would make sure that when I tagged off that my hips were low, my feet were balanced, and I had my weight underneath me. And that's the issue with really what's going on in the, in the modern NFL, that the middle class are no longer exists. So you don't have that. Seven. Well, you got McClendon here, but you don't really have that depth of just veteran guys that's crafty that kind of know what they're talking about. You don't have the Lou Williams of the world. You don't have like the Jamal Crawfords if you want to use a basketball sense. And really, I think that's really what the Jets need. They need some wily veterans to kind of give these young guys some seasoning. They all jacked up on Mountain Dew, and sometimes they get too excited. They just got to right. slow, slow down a little bit and just – be under control. You got time, young fella. Well, and that's the thing, too. You know, you bring that being excited and all amped up. I mean, and the setting was there on Thursday night, right? Because you're the only game in town. Yeah. It's prime time. It's under the lights. You know, everybody's watching. And everybody wants to go out there and make a good first impression. Right. And one guy that did is Jeff Smith. And we're going to talk to him a little bit later on in this program. Wide receiver had a tremendous game with seven grabs for 81 yards. We'll hear more from him coming up a little bit later on. But, you know, those penalties that you brought up. And, I mean, as a whole, they committed 11 penalties yeah. for over 100 yards. Bill Park Marcel's always used to say 100 yards and penalties is equal to seven points on the scoreboard. You think about right. it. That's the length of the football field. But defensively particular, six personal fouls. You played this game. Yeah. If you have a game where something like that is happening, you know, if let's say if it's one side of the ball in particular, in this case, the defense, is it up to you? Is it up to a veteran to go up to these guys in, in the huddle or on the sidelines and be like, hey, what's going on? We got to get more dialed in, more focused? Well, you need somebody that has the ability to kind of pull themselves back and see the big picture of what's happening. And if somebody would have just stepped back and said, listen, guys, these guys are calling it tight. Some guys let you play. Just like we have our own scouting report on ourselves or on our opponent, well, we should have a scouting report on the referees and the officials. And then early on, you see how, how tight they're calling. You have to say, you know what, guys, we can't take that extra step. So you need that veteran presence or that mature player that has the ability when you're in the, in the middle of the hurricane to kind of understand, like, be calm. Let's see conceptually what's going on and how this game is taking shape. Step back and say, hey, man, they're calling it tight. Mm-hmm. Quentin, you can't, you know, make sure you don't drive them and fall on top of them. Make sure that you're under control. Make sure that you're not, you know, taking that extra step when the ball is released because they're calling it tight. Now, the head-to-head stuff, we all know that. That's going to be called every, right. you know, that's going to be called and all the time. And a lot of times, I mean, you know this as a defensive player. Yeah. Like, when you zero in on somebody to make the hit, you know, yeah. a lot of that could be contingent, too, on the ball carrier, the yeah. guy that you're hitting. If they tilt their head it's one way, shot. right? But, no, the, the, Jets got, the, the Jets got their money worth. Yeah. <laughs> it was none of that going on. And it's one of those things, right? You have to understand, it, like, the hardest thing to do sometimes is get to the quarterback. And when you get there and you're like a millisecond away, it's a split-second decision where you have to realize, am I being selfish, right? Or does this hit 
Is it going to do what it needs to do to help us win the game, mm-hmm. or is it going to hurt us? Because sometimes a good physical hit can change the game, right? Big hits, Rex used to say all the time, big hits and turnovers change the game. But big hits are just as important as changing the game. But you can't take a big hit and sacrifice of giving 15 yards and keeping drives going, especially if it's third down, you know, fourth down. You know, the, in, in the case of Quinnen, that, was a, that game was probably over. And listen, he did nothing wrong. Right, it was an honest mistake. But in those moments, that's how you go from good to great. It was great. big, right? That, that's how you go from good to great. Being able to be a high decision, you know, a percentage decision maker, understanding that. Listen, I got him. So now let me come under balance, make sure I secure it, and not not be reckless. Because first thing a quarterback does when they see a big guy coming, same thing you would do. You duck, right? So you so the target lowered, so he has to account for that. But the fatigue sometimes sets in, and fatigue can make cowards of us all. And I feel like early on, a lot of the technique uh, letting guys buy is just fatigue. And, you know, hopefully these, this week these guys had their mini buy. Instead of get, getting healthy was one part of it. But I hope they came in, jumped to rope, did some cardio, and understand that they got to be able to carry these pads. You better carry them at a high level, especially with all the injuries. What happens is guys that are playing don't get relieved of their special teams duties. Right. So I, I'm watching Hewitt, and, you know, for every – Great field goal to Sam Fickety, 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 Ficken hit. That's one 60 to 70 yard sprint for Hewitt. That's a lot. And he's playing every snap on defense, right. too. It's, so, worst case scenario as a linebacker, so people don't understand, because most linebackers and tight end safeties play every special team. Mm-hmm. Worst case scenario, you go down on kickoff, three and out, have the turnaround punt team, the other team's offense go on a 10 play drive score, and then you got to go on kickoff return, punt. Like, those are the things that kind of mess you up. And people don't realize that, but the miles that you put on your body and fatigue. So then when you play a game, you need to make a, a play late in the game. You don't have that extra energy to push to make that step. And listen, this is a game of interest, right? And sometimes, you know, you either make that play or don't make that play based on your position. It could be based on one step. And that's why you got to take care of each other, man. Like, listen – Let's not do anything to extend this dude's drive because I'm tired as hell. I just ran out on kickoff, and I can't breathe. Right, and, I mean, you're talking also about playing two games in four days still early in the season, and to your point, who knows where the conditioning level is at. Everybody says they're good to go, but once you actually get into the midst of a season, that's when the true test comes in, and we're still only talking about the fourth game of the year here. Inside the Jets is broadcast from the the BetMGM studio. Place your football parlays, props, and futures bets at BetMGM Sports all season long. Um, Sam had a so-so night, I would say. There was some good. There were some throws he'd probably like to have back and showed off his athletic ability, too, with that 46-yard touchdown run. I mean, I don't know if I was watching, like, vintage tapes of, you know. Michael Slick. Michael Slick, Michael Vick, Steve Young, whoever you want to call that. Michael Slick. Hey, but that was a boost, and I think that's an area of Sam's game. Yeah, Sam Young. (laughs) I think that's an area of Sam's game, though, that maybe some people sleep on occasionally. This guy's got some athletic ability. He can make some plays with his legs. Well, it's like one thing, right, because I feel like we have two athletic quarterbacks in New York, and you look at, at Danny Dimes, he's more straight line speed, right? He gets to the corner, he can run. But if you look at Sam, if you really break down Sam's run, he hits you with it. For those out there with Matt, and they know what I'm talking about. When you look at this right here, that's that R2 right here. <laughs> you looked at the sides. That's it. He, that was that, he been hanging around Le'Veon because that was a vintage jump cut to the side to elude the, the, the defender. 
but you saw that the monkey got on his back a little bit and he drug his feet twice and he said, oh, nobody hit me. And he had to He looked like he was ready to, yeah. Yeah, he was ready to give it up. Oh, nobody He was ready to go into slide mode. That's what he was doing. (laughs) And then you saw the guys, I'll tell you, I don't know, maybe they didn't get the memo in that secondary. They didn't know the game started yet because they didn't look like they wanted to maybe get some contact that early in the game. But Jonah, it worked out for the Jets. They thought he was going to slide. He's like, oh, I don't want to hit him and get a penalty. <laughs> well, he stayed up, and that's the danger, right? Remember Kianuqua back in the day oh, yeah. had Vince, Vince Young, Young and let him go. So that's the thing, right? I feel like Sam should utilize that more often when it's not there, one read, two read, be able to use some of his athleticism, especially when he see teams that are decide to play, you know, man-to-man on them until they decide to put that rat – we need him to start getting that spy because what happens is if people have to spy him because they have a healthy fear of his athleticism, it's going to create more one-on-ones down the field because they're taking a defender that could be helping somebody else and having to count for Sam Darnold because Sam Darnold is an athletic quarterback. With that being said as well, I would also love to see him with some of these RPOs and start utilizing him more and keeping it. You know, because you have to certain times, sometimes you have to put certain things on film just so people know it's a threat. Well, they did that last year. Remember in the second half of the season once they started to win some football games? Yeah. And they had that streak going. I don't know how many games it was, like four games in a row where they scored on the opening drive. A couple yeah. of those were courtesy of an RPO, remember, down near the goal line. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, he has that in his arsenal, and we'll see if that's going to be something incorporated into the playbook moving forward. Well, I will, I will hope so, man, because they have a big game coming up with the human joystick, right, coming up this week. He's pretty good. And, um, yeah, they're going to have to be able to corral him. Um, I wonder this week if, if, if Greg Williams puts uh, a running back in the backfield and, and, and runs around kind of assimilate. You know, the funny thing is, I remember the, the funniest thing I heard about Kyler Murray is like he reminds you of when your toddler or your kid takes something and you tell them to come back and they, and they take off running. You know, they, they got that little wallow to him. That's kind of how he runs, man. Like he, he's not a big guy. Not at all. Not, not at, at all. all. But super dynamic. He can, he can make you look silly. You know, he can make you miss in a phone booth. And it's going to be a tough t- um, um, challenge, but you got to have a game plan. Uh, about him and what we used to do all the time uh, when we went against Michael Vick or we went against Russell Wilson or anybody that was an athletic quarterback what you have to understand is the same lanes that they see through are Mm -hmm. the same lanes that they run through so what you do is you distort their vision by creating movement and line stunts and you don't have to blitz but what happens is they see color and color when you're running like um, U games or Tom games which the tackles kind of just crossing it creates um simulated pressure and it makes them speed up their process and then you can flush them to one side and so it'd be interesting I know Greg Williams is going to have a plan but it'd be interesting to see what the plan is because this year had a good game and a bad game all at once <laughs> but he got man DeAndre Hopkins coming to town or they're going to see DeAndre Hopkins is going to be a tough task that reminded me you know the, the game that this year had on Thursday night it reminded me of back in the day Jets had a cornerback by the name of Otis Smith. I don't know if you remember him. <laughs> Otis Smith played for the Eagles. He then played for the Patriots with Parcells. But Otis Smith was a guy, look, he'd give up some throws. He'd give up some plays yeah. down the field. But the ball Bart would always find yeah. him. And Otis Smith would end the year with like five, six picks, a couple of pick sixes every single year. Yeah. But yet he'd prone, be prone to giving up those big plays. Exactly. And listen, you, feel, you have to understand, got a high point, the ball, and those 50-50 balls. He had the one that he would love to come back with, um, Judy. You know, when it was the, he was in perfect position. Yep. I don't, you know, you got, he got to put those thumbs together because it went through his hands right through. to go through, through him. And that's the difference between being good and being great. That's what I'm talking about. It's like putting yourself in position is just, the part, just, just part of the process. How do you make the play? And I feel like the better conditioning you are in, the more strength you have to make that play, to be able to go up and make that play and not, you know, you know miss the play and, and feel bad. But I tell you what, you have to tip your hat off to him 
He was resilient. Yep. And they always say next play, right? Turn the page. Short-term memory. You know, short-term memory. And, you know, he made two great plays. I mean, the one on the sideline where he dragged his feet was amazing. That was a great play. The fact that he had – and they thought it was a throwaway, right? Rippin thought it was a throwaway, and, and he started to feel the pressure. And that's the thing, right? They, as soon as they made, you know, uh, made him feel the pressure – they gave it right back mm-hmm. because that kid was ready to fold. Two straight because, picks. Yeah, he was right? ready to fold. And, you know, it, right there, I think if, if Quinnen could just keep his hands out of the way, I think the, the game changes and I think they just have a victory. It's a small line, small One line between winning and losing yep, it's true. all the time. You know, and, and even it doesn't have to be like a touchdown, not touchdown, drop pass, a penalty like that, or just something so minute like that. But in the end, that's why he plays 60 minutes lo- and roll heads up. Dan, I love when you use those college words, man. I'm going to add that, to, like my, I'm gonna add that to my repertoire. We educate here on the show. We do it all. But what we're going to do right now, though, is we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the Denver Broncos game on Thursday. Let's hear from senior reporter Eric Allen and our friend, former Jet tight end, Anthony Becht. Welcome into the Jets' two-minute drill. Eric Allen inside the BetMGM studio, joined by Anthony Becht, as always. Anthony, the Jets fall to 0-4 on the season with a 37-28 loss to the Denver Broncos. It looked for a moment there like the green and white were going to secure a come-from-behind victory, but it was the Broncos who had the final answers in this one. Yeah, you know, you're right. It was a crazy game, ups and downs. It was really a a fun game to watch, Uh, but a, a lot of things, right, happened in the game that, you know, the Jets needed to take advantage of. You know, first and foremost, I thought Sam brought some excitement tonight. Mm. Obviously, with his legs, uh, you know, almost 100 yards rushing for him on the evening. I thought that was going to be a key component for really the success of them, especially in those third down three areas where he could kind of get himself mobile and get himself some first downs. And with that big run, that was a good start for him. Uh, you know, penalties were, were a bit of an issue in this game. A lot of them, honestly, Eric, were were on third down. And that was a crucial part of, you know, stopping the Broncos and getting the ball back. But you're giving them more opportunities. And and that keeps the defense uh, on the field and your offense off. So that's never a good thing. And then finishing in the red zone. You have to finish in the red zone. Opportunities were there. Uh, You know, you found yourself in third and manageable situations. But when it counted and you needed it, uh, you weren't able to come up. So, you know, listen, it was a hard-fought game, but, uh, you know, ultimately you have to be able to execute in those money-down situations and take advantage of the turnovers that you were able to get in the game. And you didn't put up touchdowns, you kicked field goals, and that was the difference in the game. I thought Pierre Desir's night was symbolic for the entire team. He gave up a couple touchdowns. He had a pair of interceptions and a pick six. Listen, it's not easy to play corner in the NFL. And, you know, if you're on social media, you're probably seeing how everybody thought he had a terrible game. And then all of a sudden he becomes a hero. You have to have a short-term memory. And he did in that football game. Uh, but those plays in the second half of the game were huge. Uh, the pick six was was huge. Gave the life and momentum to the Jets in those moments. Uh, weren't able to convert the two-point conversion. But, again, getting yourself in the game, you got to find ways to score. Offensively, you couldn't finish in the red zone, so the defense was able to pick it up in the second half and make this a ball game. It was going to come down to the end of the game, and they weren't able to capture those moments. What did you make of the Jets offensively? You talked about Sam Darnold really giving this team a jolt early in this ball game, and Jameson Crowder comes back to the lineup. He goes over 100 yards receiving for a second consecutive game, and I thought Jeff Smith uh, really performed well. Seven catches, 81 yards. 
Yeah, well, you know, I think we all expected Crowder to bounce back and, and be the target Sam wanted in this football game. He leaned on him a bunch of times throughout the game. I'll tell you what, Jeff Smith's a player now. Mm. I like this kid, and I think if you watch him on film and they start breaking things down, he's going to get implemented more in this offense as you move on. Just a heck of a job by him. I was really impressed by his skill set and just the calmness of the way he played the game tonight was really fun to see for him. A wild night at MetLife Stadium, and unfortunately, the Jets fall again. They're 0-4 and four on the season, but they'll have a mini-bye in this weekend. As always, Anthony, we appreciate your analysis. Thanks a lot, guys. And Inside the Jets is supported by Selective Insurance. Be uniquely insured. Coming up, we'll talk to one of the stars from Thursday night's game, wideout Jeff Smith. That and more when Inside the Jets returns, presented by EY, building a better working world. And welcome back to Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. Dan Gross with you. And it's time now for our player guest segment. It's presented by EY, building a better working world. And we're pleased to be joined off of a very strong performance on Thursday night. It's wide receiver Jeff Smith, who's nice enough to give us some time here on the show. Jeff, it's Dan Grassa. Thanks for joining us here on Inside the Jets. How are you? I'm doing well, sir. I'm doing great. Doing great. What was it like having a few extra days off, a weekend off of football after playing that game on Thursday night? Was it a little bit of a departure for you? Um, yeah, you know, uh, it felt good, you know. So that was my first action since I'm in camp. So I mean, get the to get that game in and and uh, get that rest felt felt uh, uh, felt pretty good. Now, did you get away from football a little bit over the last few days, or did you sit down and watch the rest of the league a little bit on Sunday? Um, definitely watched watch the games, you know, because, you know, we're kind of going through Corona still. So, you know, just like sitting at home, watching the games. Yeah. How about the opportunity for you personally? As you said, you know, this was your first game action of the season. What did it feel like mm -hmm. to finally get out there and not just get out there, but really have a strong contribution in this football game? It felt great. You know, um, I know what I can do. And it just felt good to be like around my teammates, like on the field, um, just like, playing ball so I mean we just we, we just got to get get the win 73 of 77 snaps on offense you were out there on the field were you expecting that much of a heavy workload in your first game of the season uh to be honest I wasn't because I haven't played or practiced in about four weeks but I mean as the game went on I felt better and better um so you know the focus will definitely be to get in more and more shape and get back into that football shape how sure. is how is the conditioning? Like you said, maybe, you know, you could have been a little bit more in that department because you missed some time, though. But overall, how do you think you came out of the game conditioning-wise? I felt good, you know. Like, you're like there's a in-shape and then there's a football shape. So I definitely think, think that I'm in-shape. But that football shape, you know, going in, playing like 74, set, set, uh, what was it, like 73? Uh, 73, 73 yeah. Yeah, so that's way different than like, that, uh, than like going around sprints and stuff like that. So, you know, that'll come with like more practice time this week and just and just uh, just uh, moving forward for sure. Trust me, Jeff, a lot of us can relate to being in shape versus football shape. Trust me, I got your back on that one. I know what that's all about here. But how about, you know, the whole process for you? You know, you were having yourself a really good training camp. Then you had that shoulder injury and you had to miss some time. How difficult was it for you to stay upbeat during that time when you're on the shelf, knowing that, hey, I want to get out there on the field and help this team? Um, it was tough at times, but, you know, the main goal is to just stay focused and kind of go through the whole game plan with the team uh, just as if you're you're going to start. So I kind of figured that once I've had the chance to get back, 
I would be able to, to, you know, get back in there. Just like I pride myself on knowing what to do. Um, so, uh, so yeah. What was the hardest part for you while you were injured? I mean, certainly you want to be out there on the field helping your team. I and mean, was, was there one mm -hmm. aspect that was more difficult than all the rest just from not being out there with the guys? Um, I wouldn't say there was one uh, specific aspect. I think just the entirety of, you know, having to make sure that you stay locked in during like the long meetings and things like that. Talking with Jeff Smith here on Inside the Jets. You know, this was certainly a unique offseason for everybody involved with the National Football League. Players, coaches, staff, everybody, given the pandemic and what we were going on really as a, as a country and as a world there. After you had your first taste of the NFL last season, you know, I'm sure you put in all the work. It was going to be a big offseason for you to make even more of an impact in year two. How did your offseason routine change with all the uncertainties that were going on in the world? Um, I wouldn't say it changed too much. You know, I kind of started to focus on my nutrition more. Um, definitely, you know, because I transitioned from college to pro. Like, you know, in college, like, you work out all year with the team. So I think that transition of, like, being able to work out on, on your own and stay, like, on point was definitely, like, the focal point. So definitely with, like, quarantine and things like that, uh, I mean, that it wasn't tough. Just, like, made the offseason way longer. So, yeah. Now, you've only played in one game so far this year, but the team clearly is not where it wants to be, off to an 0-4 start. But, you know, the offense I felt on Thursday night certainly probably had its best game of the season in terms of moving the ball up and down the field and had certainly opportunities to score even more points. From somebody who was watching it from afar, though, how would you evaluate how this offense has played here the first quarter of the season? Um, I think the main thing for us is uh, just being able to get six points and not three. Um, so I know, you know, Coach Gates and, uh, and then we'll definitely come up with a plan. And know our job is, is to just to follow that plan and, and, to, go, and to go make it work on uh, Sundays. Any wide receiver will tell you it's important to have a nice relationship and a good rapport with the quarterback. For somebody that had to miss the last several weeks, you know, what is your relationship? What is your chemistry like with Sam now that you guys are back out on the field and doing your thing again? Uh, I think it's growing, you know, uh, especially with this past game. Um, I still try to kind of stay in the mix, but not too much during during these past few weeks. But, uh, you know, just being where he needs me to be, um, I think, is the biggest part. So knowing the plays, knowing knowing all like the uh, things that like come off each play and just, some, and just knowing where to go when he needs us there. You know, players are often their worst critics, right? You always think that you could do better. You're always striving for perfection. When you sat down and you watched the film of Thursday night's game, what were some areas that you felt maybe, boy, I could have done that a little bit better? I think the biggest thing, uh, like we had like we had uh, spoke about, was definitely just the getting back in football shape. You know, like there's always little things to fix. So, I mean, in my head, you know, I guess like one Saturday, Sunday hit was to kind of put this game – behind me because that game's gone and, and just to kind of focus on going to win this week. You know, you, you took an interesting journey to get to this point here. I don't know how many fans out there know, but you actually began your football career as a quarterback. You were a high school quarterback down in Florida. You went up to Boston College, began as a quarterback before you made that transition to wide receiver. Now that you've done both for a good mm -hmm. amount of time here, do you have a preference one way or the other? Do you prefer being a wide receiver more or do you prefer being a quarterback? Uh, I mean, I definitely think that I made the right choice. Um, it was a tough one um, during school, and I, and I wasn't sure, like, how it would go. But, you know, I put my all, put everything I had in into the switch. And uh, so far, it's kind of 
panned out. So, yeah. And we're going to hear more from Jeff Smith and his journey to the National Football League coming up next on Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. Welcome back to Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. Dan Grassa, joined by Jets wide receiver Jeff Smith, and our player guest segment is presented by EY, building a better working world. We were talking earlier about your transition from quarterback to wide receiver in your professional football career here. Why quarterback? How was that the first step for you? Uh, Just when I was young, you know, uh, I played baseball, I pitched, and I played, and, and I obviously played ball, so I mean... I was always able to throw just like from playing baseball. So that was just kind of like the role I was kind of that, that I kind of took. And um, I was always like the fastest, like most most like athletic player, like on the field. So like you want your that player to like have the ball in his hands. So, yeah. How about started. how about your baseball career? How long did you play baseball up to? Um, I played all the way through high school and I, I actually almost chose um, to try to go to the minor leagues um, instead of going to play football at uh, BC. So that was a tough choice to make, but I made the choice of playing football. So, yeah. Were you drafted for baseball? That I was going to be, but I told teams that I had signed to go play football. So, I mean, they kind of cut, cut that out quick. Yeah. Now, you said you pitched. Any other positions? What was your other position in baseball? Uh, center field and a little bit of like second base, maybe a little bit. So you were versatile. You could play all over the diamond. How about your bat? How was your offensive game? Uh, Pretty average, like maybe about about around like 275, 300. Power? How how about power? A little bit of power? A little bit of pop? A little bit. I mean, not too much. I mean, not not like how Bryce Harper and them were coming out, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so baseball was an avenue for you but you chose football because you like that a little bit better here then when you were at bc as i said you played quarterback your first year and then you transitioned over to wide receiver how about the transition was it challenging for you is it something that you took to right away because you know quarterback was your thing and now you're being asked to be on the other end of those passes what was that transition mm-hmm. like for you uh, I think it was tough, you know, trying to be on the other end of, you know, because that quarterback, you can see the whole field and like at wide out, you're, you're catching the ball, but like you don't see anybody. So I think that, that, that was a challenge and like learning how to use my speed because you don't always want to run full, full speed. So that's kind of what I kind of took a challenge with uh, at first, but I mean, it just took, took time. So like those three years at, at, at school helped for sure. You know, and you talk about speed and, you know, wide receiver, everybody thinks that it's, oh, yeah, just speed, fly, burn, and all that sort of stuff. But how long did it take for you to really embrace the art of route running? Because anybody could just run a go route, right, and just run as fast as you can. But how about the intricacies of making sure you got all those different patterns ironed out? I think that probably took all the way up until during my senior year and probably until this past year during my uh, Peace Squad year. So that's definitely something that takes time. Like, you can't just – get that uh started so i mean that definitely took some time to feel to kind of feel that out but um yeah i feel good now is that more film study i mean is that what you go back and you look on to try to map out how you should be doing things a little bit differently i mean of course the coaching but i mean how much do you rely on film when you're trying to get all that stuff perfected yeah like film like watching guys like maybe like stefan Diggs, like those guys who like do it great now so like just kind of kind of trying to like do what they do like the fundamentals of route running of route running is uh is, is what coach sean sean jefferson says all the time so that kind of you know having him and i and uh, heinz here too and dt here last year and robbie and, and them helped 
We're talking with Jeff Smith here on Inside the Jets, presented by EY, Building a Better Working World. How long into your career at BC, once you started playing wide receiver, did you think that, you know what, I think I could become an NFL wide receiver? Was, did, it, did it take long for you? When did you start to get that belief? You know what, I could do this as a pro. Uh, actually, my, I think it was like my second or third game. Uh, versus, it was versus UMass, um, kind of when I had my two-touchdown game, and then I had a pretty good game against... I think Clemson needed that year, that next year. So once I kind of played some better teams, I kind of felt like, okay, like I can really go go somewhere with this. And that's kind of when that uh, summer before my senior year, uh, me and my boys stayed throughout the whole summer and just worked. And then ultimately, though, you didn't get drafted. You had to catch on as an undrafted free agent. How much did that fuel you? How much was the motivation behind all that and your success now as an NFL player? Definitely a lot because, you know, like when you're younger, uh, you want to, you know, watch the draft and like see your name called like with your mom, your dad, like your auntie. So, I mean, that definitely played a role. But like I know like who I am and like what I can do. So I just kept kept uh, kept uh, trusting myself, trusting God. Um, and, and yeah, and now and now uh, and now we're here. And now you are here. Like you said, this is your second year with the Jets. And how do you think you've grown from year one versus year two? Um, I think the most way I've grown was mentally, you know, having Hines and Sean Jefferson and uh, Demarius Thomas here last, last year kind of helped shape uh, shape my mind. I like, kind of shaped like my toolbox on the field. Um, so I think that Peace Squad year was definitely critical and like definitely was something I needed, like no matter how much I wanted to to go out there and play. Um, I definitely needed that 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 year to, to kind of prepare you know, well, you mentioned some of your coaches. Hines, of course, you know, his resume speaks for itself. What he did as a player, he's a Super Bowl MVP, had a very, very successful career. Sean Jefferson, same exact thing, a very successful wideout, played in Super Bowls. You know, what have those guys done for you as someone who's still relatively new to the position and trying to perfect it? I think uh, definitely, I guess you could say, I guess testing me, kind of like bringing that like competitive like spirit out, you know, kind of like making me – like challenging me to do certain things like on certain days of practice and things like that is definitely what I kind of kind of respond to. So, I mean, they're, they're they coach tough and that and that has helped me for the past year and a half for sure. How about that wide receiver room? I mean, you have a lot of guys, a lot of guys with a lot of ability that, you know, most Jet fans probably have not had the chance to see yet. Of course, we haven't seen Denzel Mims, the rookie, make his debut yet. Hopefully he's back sooner than later, along with a couple of other guys. For you as a group, do you kind of amongst yourselves talk about, you know, the potential that you have as a wide receiver unit and the damage you guys could do once you're all healthy and together out on the field on Sundays? Yeah, um, I think we, we, we actually think that we have a great room. You know, like once Mims and BP get back and, you know, Crowder's back now too, and like Vincent, you know, Josh, like once we're all there, like we have so much speed and like playmaking uh, too. So, I mean, once we all get back, I think, I think they all come back this week too. So I think, uh, I, I think the offense will be way more, way more faster paced and just, and just way, way better for sure. How competitive are you guys as a group, as wide receivers in that room? Are you all trying to one-up the other? I wouldn't say we're, we're, we're trying to one-up. I think we're, we're always trying to teach, um, always trying to make sure, kind of like hold, hold each other accountable. Um, so, you know, I, I think we put push, like, I think in our whole room, like coaches too, we push well, for sure. Well, Jeff Smith, 
debut this season, seven catches, 81 yards against the Denver Broncos on Thursday night. Best is yet to come for you, Jeff. Continued success for yourself, the rest of the offense moving forward, and we thank you for joining us here on the program. Thank you. Thank you. All I right. appreciate it. Still a lot more to do here on Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. Welcome back to Inside the Jets. Dan Grasso, Bart Scott with you. We're presented by EY, building a better working world. And remember, Jets fans, you can watch Inside the Jets through the Jets app presented by BetMGM. Go to the App Store or Google Play now and search official New York Jets. Pretty exciting week four in the National Football League. We had no game on Sunday, so we're able to sit back and watch all the games, kind of be a fan again, which is a nice little departure (laughs) for us. But, boy, I'll tell you, you know, I know the Cowboys are America's team, and I know they're always going to get attention, <laughs> win, lose, or draw. They deserve it this week. I'll tell you, they're 1-3 right now, and they're saving grace because, by all accounts, they should be 0-4. Yes. Best thing they have going for them, Bart, is that they're in the NFC East because exactly. nobody <laughs> wants to win that division. So the Cowboys are still very much in the thick of it, even though they got a lot of things to work out. You know, we were laughing the fact that the Philadelphia Eagles tied, <laughs> tied with right. the Bengals. That may be the deciding factor in who wins the division. At Doug Peterson's going to look like a genius at the end of the year <laughs> right. because of that. See, he didn't go for it. Yep. He, you know, he, didn't, he didn't take a risk. And that's, you know, that's, that's crazy, but you never know, right? We went into the to this season thinking that the Cowboys had arrived. You look at all the offensive firepower, and they hadn't disappointed. But what has been disappointing is that once great, you know, um, Defense. Berlin Wall. No, the Berlin Wall. Well, their offensive line is that different. That offensive line is totally different. No Travis Frederick. You look at Lionel Well, the tackles Collins. are banged up, right. too. Lionel Collins is done for the year. So now what happens is you have, you have Martin and you have um, Tyron Smith, and that's it. And it shows and it reflects in the fact that Dak Prescott threw the football 58 it's times. It's insane. 58 times throwing the ball. You can never win a game. You will rarely ever win a game throwing the ball 58 times because what's happened is they're able to put up points, but they're not able to close people out. And you're not able to be able – how can you think dropping back 58 times that at least once or twice something bad isn't going to happen? You know, Dak fumbled. Zeke rarely fumbled, but he fumbled. Right, and that's what happens. It has no balance. Look at Joe Burrow, right? That second, that Thursday night, he threw 61 passes against the Browns or whatever. They lost the game. Yesterday, I'm seeing all over Twitter and social media, Dak Prescott set an NFL record. I think it was 974 yards over the last two games. You know what record... I, I count in those two games, they're yeah, 0-2. Exactly. That's all I care about. And, and then and then you what, what happens is you look at, like, I can show you somebody else that probably did that. Matthew Stafford does that every year. He always throws for 5,000 yards. He has some of the, some of the best yards and mm-hmm. or the most yards per season. How many W's have they been able to stack? And that's what the thing. And then you look on the flip side, right? We thought that this year with Hooper, with uh, I forget the tight end name all, all the time, and Joku. Blake Jarwin. Oh, you're talking about Cleveland or Cleveland? Ka- Cleveland. Yeah. David Njoku. Yeah, Njoku, right? Hooper, uh, Beckham, uh, Landry. We thought, wow, they went and got the right tackle, Conklin, the best in the league. Then they went out and they got Wills, you know, you know, one of the best um, pro-ready tackles, right? So you're like, wow, this team is going to air this thing out. And they tried it. They tried it early in the season, and they had defeats, right? They lost. Then they found their identity. You got to give it up to Skavansky to say, okay, listen, we're going to run the football because no matter how great Odell Beckham is, no matter how great uh, Hooper is, no matter how great we think Jarvis Landry is, our bread is buttered with this run game, and our two best players, most effective players, are Chubb and Kareem Hunt, and they run the ball down your throat. Well, that's what he did in Minnesota too. Right, but he he didn't nearly have – 
the talent that he had. Then I know Diggs, and you could say Diggs and, and Landry. No, but remember, they, they, with they, Cousins as his quarterback, and then even, right. you know what I'm saying? It was, okay, we don't want to put too much on his plate. Right. You need a healthy running game. And they had Latavius Murray there. They had yes. Cook when he was healthy. Right. That's the formula. And look how it That's open, the formula. Look how, and then look, and I said, and Odell came out, he took a little heat. He said he don't care if he, if he what is about his yards, right? Because Odell's trying to change the narrative. Because he was on a trajectory like no other receiver in the history of the game, like Moss and, and, and Jerry Rice. But he didn't have the wins. So his narrative was that he was a great player but a loser. And now he understands that less is more for him because now he's getting, he's getting the ball thrown to him and there's nobody around him when right. he's catching it. There's not contested passes. It's not double teams. Now they're putting that eighth man in the box, and he's getting, he's getting wide open, he's, and it's, he's getting easy, easy catches and easy, you know, Yesterday, you know, look at Landry. He threw the ball to him, right? So I think that you look at a team that you see are recognizing their identity. Them running the ball allows their defense to rest. They have a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball that allows them to pin their ears back. Miles Garrett's playing well. Ward had a great play in that game yesterday. And if you look at that division right now, we'll take Cincinnati out of it because they're not there yet. We know that. But Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, it's only a quarter of the way through the season, but those should be some fun matchups between those three teams because they maybe yeah. all make the playoffs. You, you never know. know. You think about this, the extra playoffs game, you could have three, you know, three guys from there in the playoffs, and which right. would be crazy. But, you know, we need the other other uh, conferences to step up, and it seemed like they refused um, not to. Well, you look at a team like the Chargers, for example, out in that AFC West, right? I mean, oh, they went down exciting. to Tampa. That was exciting. It was exciting, and, you know, it, it, it probably drives you crazy if you're a Charger fan because you were in position to steal that game yesterday. You got off to a fast start. Herbert was making some throws. Now, I know that Tampa's got firepower. They got Brady. They're home, but, you know, it should have been the other another way pick, around. Another pick six for Brady. Another pick six. And yet he still throws five touchdown passes. And even when you're down, you're just never out of it. And they lose O.J. Howard, too, for the year, the tight end. But I'll tell you, it's a new world down there in Tampa Bay with that guy still playing quarterback. And it shows you, you know what? I know it's not as slick maybe going outside the numbers as he got victimized with the pick six, but he still knows how to make the plays. Well, it's a belief, right? And that's the primary job of the quarterback, to, to instill belief and hope in the team. They all believe in Tom Brady, whether he throws five uh, first quarter you know, pick sixes. They believe that he has the answers to the test and he understands that he's come back from uh, you know, every deficit you can think of. It's not a situation that you can put Tom Brady in that he hasn't been a part of and part of his history. So you'll have tremendous belief. They still, you know, running the ball and being physical that way. Well, what's surprising was the fact that Herbert was able to slice through that defense like, like you know, a hot, a hot knife and um, and butter. Mm -hmm. And you know, but that's the that's the beauty of it as well too, because you look at Tampa able to lift their defense up. Their defense has been tremendous throughout the year. Takeaways. But but, but then they're able to to to, to kind of like lift them up, man. The league is in such a great spot. How crazy is this? Mm. Football was on. Not just, you know, I wasn't watching the primetime game, just regular football. I said, you know what? I have no interest in the NBA Finals That's because I wanted to watch football. I didn't care who was playing. Have you seen the ratings for the football. NBA Finals? They're not very good. I don't <laughs> think a lot of people are watching them because it's, it's, it's not the same. It's just, nothing you know. Beats, nothing beats football. Nothing. And you see some, some, some places with fans, some without. And I tell you what, sometimes I can't tell the difference. Now, I do hate that whoever's working, the, whoever's working the DJ booth with the whole chair every time is driving me freaking it's crazy. It's a little much. 
but it's, it's okay. You know, but, you know, you look at it, and the league is in a good place, man. I, I like where the league is at. I like the product. I think fans are. Well, it's not affecting the product, and that's the right. most important thing. Right? Because we all had questions. This is uncharted territory for all of us. We wanted to know what this would be like. And as you said, some stadiums are completely empty. You wouldn't know the difference. Because when you're watching it on TV, all you see is the field of play yeah. between the white lines, and that's as good as anything still. Well, it, reminds me, it reminds me of college. That's how my stadium looked every week, and we and we had free tickets. <laughs> but, but it's all good. I digress. I, you know what I mean? But It got you to a good place though exactly exactly appreciation man I, i'm just so excited with what's going to happen next week right and, and just i'm like the nfl is such a drug man it's mm-hmm. like it's it's just everything that's right and i and i love watching it i love watching these sundays feel compete. normal yeah it just feels sundays normal. feel normal and and you know for the better part of how many months here there hasn't been a heck of a lot that feels normal but when you put on football on sunday like we did yesterday it felt like the way it's supposed to it and feels, it has felt that way. And it feels good, man. So, I mean, listen, we need to just get off the snide. We need them. This is the week. You know, they have a, they have a team. We mentioned Arizona, right? Coming in here, we got about a minute left. Let's hit on them real quick here. We know that they got Farrow Pyre on offense. You got Kyler Murray, who's playing out of the world. You got Chandler like you Jones. Said. You have to be careful. You got to watch out Chandler Jones, who's been a little bit of a sack rut here the last couple of weeks. Arizona's defense has taken some hits the last couple of weeks. Maybe the Jets can do something on offense. But when the Jets' defense, though, those two wide receivers, one's going to Canton. The other yeah. guy's on a Hall of Fame path right now. They have to have their best game here. Yeah, you think about Kenyon Drake. He sets the tone as well, so they got physicality. And you got to worry about the RPOs, and you have to worry about you know Kyler Murray and his legs outside of the pocket and doing those off-schedule plays. And you think about anything that's thrown in DeAndre Hopkins' way is going to be caught for the most part. He doesn't drop the ball. And, oh, by the way, he has a guy on the other side of him that has the record for no drop balls. I think maybe he only the has best like 13. Yeah. Surest hands, wide receiver tandem maybe in football with yeah, those two guys? Could be. It's going to be a tough task, but I tell you what, hopefully the Jets are up for it. they got to have a tremendous week of, of practice, preparation. And listen, it's all about execution. Don't beat yourself. Make sure you stick to the game plan. And you have to dare to be great. You can't be great if you don't take any chances, but they have to be educated chances. And you said, you know, getting a little bit healthier. Mims, Perryman, yeah. Bell, we'll see. Get some firepower back on yeah. offense. And we'll see where things go with the quarterback, Sam, with that achy shoulder. Spoke to Maybe on Monday, uh, he said he feels good. He's going to try to go out there Wednesday at practice and give it a roll, so we will see where it goes. Bart, great job as always, my friend. It's a pleasure. He is Bart Scott. I'm Dan Grassa. Thanks for listening to watching Inside the Jets, presented by EY, building a better working world. So long, everybody.